Matthew chapter 8, I'm going to begin reading in verse 5. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 5. The Bible says, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion, beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh, and to my servant do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled, and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west, and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done to thee. And his servant was healed in the self-same hour. May God bless his word. Please bow with me in prayer right now. Father, thank you so much. Uh, we just want to lift up to you some needs in our church, and there are many, but uh, we think of Serena uh, recently getting that surgery and, and recovering. We're grateful that she is on the mend we're so grateful, Father, for those that have reached out and helped with meals and the blessing that it was to Serena. We just pray that you'd help her. Uh, we're grateful for the healing that you've already granted. We pray that you'd make a quick recovery. I also pray, Father, for Noreen uh, with COVID and, and pray that she'd be uh, healed soon enough to be back with us. Pray for Gail Lydon, Lord, recovering as well from shoulder surgery. And we just ask you to, to bless our time today. Minister so many people in our church, Father, with health needs. We lift them up to you. And we're grateful, Father, that you are aware of each and every situation and that you are tending, uh, involved, and omnipotent in each situation. And Lord, we ask your blessing on the word today. Pray that our Savior would be magnified and that we would respond in faith to the scriptures. And we ask your blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be. All right, if you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Well, last Sunday we had Pastor Paul Connor from the PRBC, but the Sunday before that was Mother's Day. And I preached a message with a very unusual title um, After Mom. And I think. Uh, or no, it was before mom. Today's message is called after mom. Okay? I'm doing a follow-up. Uh, Mother's Day message was before mom, things weren't right. And uh, please understand the context of that, uh, that we were going back to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 1, as you know, is the, the days of creation. And then in chapter 2, it focus, goes back to the sixth day and lays out the events of when God created marriage, when God created man and woman. And it says in Genesis chapter 2.18, 
after he created everything up to the man, uh, it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet or fit for him. And then in verse 19, he created the animal kingdom. And he brought the animals to Adam and he named them. And then it says in verse 20, Adam gave names to all the cattle. And at the end of verse 20, it says, But for Adam there was not found and help meet or fit for him. And so verse 21 then says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh thereof, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And we noted two weeks ago that the idea when he said this is now is in in the Hebrew and even in the English it conveys this. And the progression is, you know, that God created the animals to meet a need because it was not good that man should be alone. And, um, not that God was against, you know, or that there's anything wrong with uh, horticulture, you know, flowers and all that, all good stuff. And, and they're a blessing to us, aren't they? But at that point in, in his creation, before he created the animal kingdom, there was something missing in relation to man. It was not good that the man should be alone. And so God created the animals and brought them to Adam and he named them. So there's a little... You know, there's a great significance about the animal kingdom and its relationship to man. But again, it's still, there was something missing. And that's when God caused Adam to fall asleep and created woman. And then God brought him, brought her to the man and he accepted him from God. And he said, this is now. And the idea of that is, finally, at last. And then, with that, the human race was completed. In fact, it tells us, um, reiterating that, it says that, so God created man in his own image, male and female created he him. And then in the New Testament, twice it goes back to that. And the point two weeks ago was, that God did that God created uh, the human race, male and female. Understand that. Now that Wednesday, Jane on our prayer meeting brought up a very good point. Jane said, "Well, you know, in light of what you preached on Sunday, what about First Corinthians chapter eleven? So turn to First Corinthians chapter eleven. I'm always aware that." Whenever somebody has a question, there's a, a good likelihood that something needs to be made clear and that there are other people who might have the same question. And as soon as Jane asked this question in our prayer meeting, I realized, you know what? This needs a part two. You know, because the point was very important is that male and female created the image of God. And uh, and so here's Jane's point, and I'm going to read to this text. We're going to go back to it in a few minutes, but I want to articulate this. That's why last two, two weeks ago the message was, before mom, things weren't right. 
In other words, things weren't. It was not good that the man should be alone. The human race had not been fully completed. And now we're going to talk about after mom. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This was Jane's question. It says in verse 7, For a man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head, talking about a veil, because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. And we're going to talk about that because that was really the point two weeks ago. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also of the woman, but all things of God. I'll explain those two verses in a minute. But let me read to you Matthew Henry in his commentary is explaining what Paul is doing here, not just in this chapter, but in several chapters in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Matthew Henry states this, uh, about a few chapters earlier about that. He says, here begin particulars respecting the public assemblies. That's what Paul's addressing here. The public assembling together of the Corinthians. In the abundance of spiritual gifts bestowed on the Corinthians, some abuses had crept in. But as Christ did the will and sought the will and honor of God, so the Christian should avow his subjection to Christ, doing his will and seeking his glory. We should, even in our dress and habit, avoid everything that may dishonor Christ. The woman was made subject to man because man uh, because made for his help and comfort, and she should do nothing in Christian assemblies to basically violate that. Nevertheless, he says, and pay attention to this, the man and the woman were made for one another. This was my point two weeks ago, though I didn't quote Matthew Henry. The man and the woman were made for one another. They were to be mutual comforts and blessings, not one a slave and the other a tyrant. God has so settled matters, both in the kingdom of providence and that of grace, that the authority and subjection of each party should be for mutual help and benefit. So we're going to talk, because that's a very good point. What Jane was bringing out, I did not address two weeks ago. You know, what about this thing of authority? And the Bible talks about, you know, wives be subject to your own husbands. And Was, he, was I saying that all things are equal? And that brought out a very good point. Now, as he said again, that, uh, that the authority and subjection of each party should be for mutual help and benefit. So we're going to talk about the, the, the idea of authority. Let me give you the outline, and then we're just going to jump right in. We're, we want to see three points in the next half hour. Number one, it's important that you, you and I understand the difference between authority and worth. And not many people understand that difference today, especially in a biblical context. So many people today, uh, the feminist movement, think that... And they don't understand, especially the Bible teaching about authority. And they think that it's saying that the women are worth less than men. And that's not saying that at all. So we're going 
We must see the difference between authority and worth. Number two, we need to understand the distinction between function and nature. There's a great example of that in the Trinity. And then thirdly, uh, we need to understand the purpose of authority. Those three things are critical if you're going to understand the Bible and some of the duties uh, of different people, the, the genders, for example. So let's jump in. Take your Bible. I had you turn to 1 Corinthians 11. We're going to go back there. But go to Ephesians chapter 5. And there's several verse, several different verses. We could look at Colossians. We could go to, um, to 1 Peter chapter 3. But we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 5. It spells it out pretty clearly. And by the way, I, I want to warn you. These are controversial words. Very controversial in our day and age. You don't hear many preachers preaching on it. At least not with a revolt. So let's kind of back away for a minute. Can you all just kind of back or step away from your emotions for a minute? Okay, I don't want to have an uprising. Let's see, what does the Bible say? Now, if, if you think that I'm misrepresenting the Bible, then that you need to tell me that. But if you have a problem with what the Bible says, then who do you need to take it up with? The Lord, right? Okay, ready? You sure you're ready? Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22. Ready? Wives, sub, whoa, 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 no, no, I can't mean that. This must be some twisted translation of the Greek word. Submit yourselves unto your own husbands. How archaic. Wait a minute, I really, is that really what it says? By the way, some of you that have other versions, it's not going to be much different. Wives, submit yourselves on your... All right, I'm just going to read it all and then take a deep breath, okay? Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit yourselves on your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the... Oh, man. The head of the wife. Even as Christ is the head of the church, and He is the Savior of the body. Savior of the body. Therefore... As the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. What? I want to ask you something. And by the way, let's back up for a minute. I want to read to you a quote from um, Gleason Archer, who, who came out with a book called The Encyclopedia of Bible Difficulties. And this is in the preface. This is such an important point. It goes back to the very rudiments of Christianity. Two primary foundational points of Christianity is number one, that there is a God, and number two, that he has made himself known to mankind. And by the way, I would add to that, in a way that we can comprehend. I mean, some people will say, okay, there's a God, and okay, he's made himself known in the Bible, but you know, the Bible could be interpreted a million different ways, so, you know, basically they're saying he really hasn't communicated in really any clear way that we can understand 
Well, Christianity rejects that. And so in, in this book of Bible difficulties, and by the way, it's a great book, Encyclopedia of Bible Difficulties by Dr. Gleason Archer. There's several books like this, but it, it, it's just a very thick book. And it addresses all those supposed contradictions in the Bible. It's amazing how many people will claim that there's contradictions in the Bible, but they never really study it out. Here's what he said in the preface. He said, No interpretation of Scripture is valid that is not based on careful exegesis. That is, on a wholehearted commitment to determining what the ancient author meant by the words he used. That's, there's a difference between exegesis and asegesis. Exegesis is, let's go in without any preconceived ideas, and let's, let's discover what the original meaning, what the author meant. That's what he's saying. Asegesis is what a lot of people do. They go into the Bible and read into it what they want it to say. And, and, and you, that's where you use proof texts. You can basically go to any verse that, that sounds like it's supporting what you say. But if you go in and, with an honest, okay, what, what is this text saying and what did the author mean? You're not going to get a million different interpretations, folks. You know, it is amazing how historical Christianity, even with all the denominations that are out there, It's amazing how historically those that believe those two premises, that there is a God and he's made himself known to man, have basically interpreted the scriptures consistently, especially in the major teachings of the Bible. There may be some minor differences in things, but the fundamentals, the key doctrines of Christianity uh, have basically, folks, you know, you look at the historical roots of the Methodists, Presbyterians, uh, Congregationalists, Baptists. It's amazing how many, uh, they basically believe the same thing historically. Now some of them have gone way astray. Even Baptists. A lot of American Baptists, they don't even believe the Bible anymore. So, no interpretation of Scripture is valid that's not based on a careful exegesis. So, and, and by the way, we are going into the Bible believing that God has spoken through the Bible. So, let's read now and look at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Do you have a problem with that text? I'll tell you, many people do. Many people would say, that, you know what, that's just Paul. Paul was a male chauvinist. I, I remember having a lady tell me that. A, a believer, a, young, a lady, she's not young anymore, well, she's with the Lord now, but she... She was older when I first started pastoring. She grew up in a Bible-believing home. She, you know, she knew Scripture after Scripture, and she said she did not like Paul. She believed Paul was a male chauvinist. If Paul was a male chauvinist, and what we see here in Ephesians and Colossians, and by the way, Peter said the same thing in 1 Peter 3 that Paul says here. So Peter was also a male chauvinist. And you know what? If their prejudices, their misogyny, hatred of woman is being seen here, then God has not really spoken. I want to ask you a question. 
Could it be that people have so misunderstood authority that they think that anyone that is under authority is worth less than someone that is in authority? And I'm convinced that's what it is, folks. There's so many people that are offended by having to submit to any authority. And, And if it's male over female, husband and wife, it's amazing how many people write this off. I want to challenge you. If you really believe this is not an authoritative statement from Scripture, I want to ask you something. Are you going to heaven? Absolutely. Why are you going to heaven? Well, because I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ who died for my sins. Oh, really? Where would you get that from? Well, I got it from the Bible. Uh Oh, wait a minute. Why is that authoritative when the Bible talks about salvation, but in other areas it's not? got to reckon with this stuff if God has spoken to us we need to allow him to be God and if we're reading into the text then let's figure that out but let's not be so prejudiced so many people do not understand authority and they they very they they don't make a difference or distinction between authority and worth so let's go now to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. <clears throat> and this is a realm of authority. This is someone that was in authority. And this, this centurion, and by the way, that was a Roman soldier, who came to Jesus because his servant was sick. And so, in fact, if you look at Matthew chapter 8, Matthew chapter 8, Beginning of verse 5, and, and when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion. Uh, and of course, as you know, it's, it's a Roman, he was a Roman commander of 100. a century centurion. So this was a man that had 100 people under him. And the centurion, or Jesus said in verse 7, I'll come and heal him. And the centurion answered, now look at this, this is amazing. And folks, this is a man that I submit to you was very humble. So he had power. He had authority. There were a hundred men under him. But he was not a man who abused authority. And by the way, I'm convinced most people that struggle with authority figures is because someone abused their authority. And I understand that. Definitely. And they're going to be held accountable. But here's a man that was very humble. The centurion said, Lord, I am a mighty man of power. No, he didn't say that. He said, I'm not worthy that thou should come under my roof. Now here's a man that was not on an ego trip. And look what he says. But speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. For, look at his reasoning. For I am not, or, um, for I am a man under authority, having soldiers that are under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth. And to another he cometh, and he cometh. And to my servant do this, and he doeth that. And by the way, this, remember, Jesus marveled at the faith of this man. Because you see what he was doing? He was believing that Jesus had the authority 
So much so in the spiritual realm, he didn't even need to come and heal the servant. He was so understanding of how authority works that he knew that Jesus, all he had to do was say the word and his servant would be healed. But it's interesting that here's this man. Now you could think, it'd be very easy, and there's probably people that would read through their Bible on a quick scan, and as soon as they read verse 9, they'd be like, I hate this centurion. He's a male chauvinist. He's he's, He's on a power trip. Ugh. Say to this man, go, and he goes, and here, come here, and he comes here. This is the problem with men. This is the problem with people. You know, they're just on power trips. No, that was not this. This man understood authority. And he understood the place of authority. And he understood the purpose of authority. Let me give you an example. Many years ago, and some of you have been to Sight and Sound Theater in Lancaster. There's one I understand in Missouri, Bronson, maybe. But uh, they put on plays that are based upon Scripture. And I know some people are so anti-theater. If you are anti-theater, don't go. But they do a great job. And I remember going, and I remember seeing, uh, and I'm, you know, as you know, ever since I had kids, I'm a wimp, so I cry at these things. It's a play. I know, but they dramatize it. And I remember the first times, first couple times going there, and it's really amazing. The, 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 stru- the scenes, they have animals coming in and interacting, and, and they, just, they, they really do a great job of allowing Bible stories, Bible events to be portrayed. And so I remember seeing it and just thinking, wow, that's, that's really a good play. I mean, that's good. And then we did this thing, after a few times we saw it, we did a behind-the-scenes tour. Any of you ever done that? Amazing. So we go in, and I never, it never would have dawned on me all that goes into putting on a production like this. And by the way, they give the gospel, folks. And thousands of people go there. And it's pretty... I had no idea what was going on behind the scenes. They all have these little earpieces, you know. And there's actually people in the background commanding everything. Actor 5, make sure you're over here. Okay, bring the donkeys in. Okay, the camels come in. And And they're giving all these commands. So much. And it blew me away. And I realized that, you know what? Any production that is of massive, you know, where you have a lot of things going on, there needs to be order and organization. And if that's going to happen, there has to be authority. There has to be someone in charge. Can you imagine going to Sight and Sound Theater and they were all a bunch of rebels that didn't like to take command? And even the horses. Okay, bring the horses in. We don't want to go. You know, just imagine... If all the different actors didn't want anyone telling them what to do. Like, okay, now it's your turn. You don't tell me what to do. Imagine how it would just be so disorganized. And the message would be lost. Now, in a play or a theater, you know, that, that, that would be a shame. 
But folks, that's not the only thing where, where order is needed. Take the centurion, for example. You're talking about military. And folks, when you're talking about defending people's lives, there has to be authority. There has to be someone that says, all right, I'm in charge of this group of people, 100 people. And when I say this, you need to do that. And by the way, the, the early, the ones that can't take orders, they get weeded out pretty early. Why is that necessary? Well, when one nation goes to war against another, it is a matter of life and death. But folks, in so many realms, in so many realms, there is a need for authority to simply allow things to function so that there would be order. And God says there's got to be authority in the home. The buck stops here. And so God has given an authority structure. And it's important that you and I understand that. Now let me say this for a minute. If you're someone that has been abused by authority, the very fact that people struggle uh, there's so many sad stories of women, and, and there's a lot of women that really um, they are um, they have misandry. Misandry is contempt for men. Uh, there's men that have uh, misogyny, which is a hatred for women. And a lot of times, if you've been abused by an authority figure, you're gonna you're gonna be a less trustful person. Because of the very fact that that was someone that was in authority. And by the very nature of authority, there's a certain amount of trust there. And when somebody violates that trust, there is greater punishment. Folks, that's why God has established the home the way He has. And even in the church, we'll look at First Timothy where Paul gives some instruction that it is not good for a, a woman to usurp authority over a man. And there's, there's a reason for that. He's going to talk about that. But let's go now. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's look at this very important text that Jane brought up. Uh, and it, it is a good question. The dis- there's a distinction. It's important you, you and I understand that. Between function and nature. Look at 1 Corinthians 11, verse 7. And this is what Matthew Henry was talking about. There were certain abuses that crept into the New Testament church. And one of them had to do with the customs of the time of the woman wearing the veil. But it said in verse 7, For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. Now don't read into that, that a, a man is worth more than a woman. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Now you're not going to understand that if you don't believe the Bible. Because this all goes back to the creation of men and women. And there's so much confusion. You reject the creation account. And, and remember, Jesus went back to it. Have you not read? When, when he was asked a trick question by the Pharisees and the scribes, 
He said, have you not read that in the beginning God created them male and female? You need to understand that basic definition. Men and women are made differently. The woman has a womb. Right? You were not born from your dad. I know Arnold Schwarzenegger did a movie about that. I didn't get to see that. But it's, it's obviously that's fallacy. Women have a womb. God do not. The women's DNA and chromosome, they're all different. Verse 8. And again, you've got, if, you don't, if you reject Genesis, the first few chapters, then you're going to reject this first point. You won't be able to deny the second point. But look at the first point. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. It's, it's just going back to, it really happened that way. And I mentioned last week, there's a book called um, Tracing. Oh, I forgot. I wrote it down. Uh, it's a new book that came out that traces, that does, investigates the latest science on DNA and how there's a lot of surprising things that are refuting evolution that we all have a common ancestor. Could it be the Bible's true? It is. So, it goes back. The man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. In other words, God made Eve from Adam. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. They have different functions. It's not saying that women are less. They're inferior. No, it's understand this. Difference in function does not equal difference in nature. Perfect example, the Trinity. Do you know that God is made up of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And those three are equal. And yet Jesus said, first he said, I and my Father are one. But then he also said this, I do always the things which please my Father. Oh, so Jesus is inferior No, his function is different. See, there's authority within the Godhead, but the three persons of the Trinity, folks, are equal in nature. That is so important for us to understand. You don't understand this whole thing. You're going to not understand the Trinity, and you're definitely not going to understand authority. Again, Verse 11, nevertheless, neither is the man, or let me back up. Verse 8, for the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. In other words, Eve was created out of man, but now look at 9. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this case, ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Now look at verse 11. This was 11 and 12 are my point two weeks ago on Mother's Day. Nevertheless, Neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. They're equal. Remember, there's no difference, Galatians says, between male and female. I understand there's some guys, there's some religions, folks, that are definitely uh, misogynistic, that are just downright, they don't treat women as, as their equals. The Christian religion historically has upheld The teaching that we are heirs together of the grace of life. So again, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 11, or yeah, chapter 11, verse 11. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man and the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, 
Eve came from Adam. Even so also is the man, or is the man also by the woman. What's that mean? Okay. God created Eve out of man. That's the first part. But man is also by the woman. Guess what? Every man that came after Eve came from the woman. Right? Every single man that came, came from the woman. And so the point, let me read to you from, um, uh, I think this is Cambridge, Cambridge Bible for the schools was a study, study guide that was at Cambridge Seminary before it became liberal, when they were Bible believing and, and back in the 17, 1800s. And here was one of the comments on this verse. An appeal to the original act of creation proves the truth of the previous statement of the interdependence of the sexes. The fact of women, women, women's having been taken out of man was used as an argument. Now is there coupled with that fact of the origin of woman, the, that other fact of the perpetual birth of man from woman, to show that there is a mutual relation. The first woman was made out of man, therefore woman is dependent on man. Every man has been born of a woman, therefore man is not in, independent of woman. Got that? Alfred Barnes, commentator, made this statement. He said the sexes are dependent on each other and therefore should cultivate an indissoluble union. So, but then he says, uh, look at Paul now, the end of verse 12, but all things of God. He's, uh, the Cambridge School for Bible continues. It says, we're to remember that all human beings exist by God's ordinance and that therefore... Each has his own rights as well as duties. You got that? Equal in nature, but different duties, different functions. That's the way God has ordained it, which cannot be neglected without injury to the divine order of this world. So important that you and I understand this. By the way, with that in mind... I'm mindful that, and with authority, my last point, we might go a little over here, folks. Please bear with me. My throat's still holding up. That's good for me. Um, but it is important that you want to understand that with authority is great responsibility. And, res- and authority is so that we can have order, but it is for the betterment of both. For the betterment of both. Isn't it interesting? You know, Woman came out of man, if you believe the Bible, and a lot of people reject that, which makes, you know, all of this mute until you stand before God. But nobody denies the next part, that man is born of woman, right? You name someone that came from their dad. You know, oh, my dad, I remember my dad, my dad has a womb. No, he doesn't. We all came from women. Which, by the way, I believe there's going to be a serious, there is a serious tyranny going on when a woman who has the awesome authority and responsibility to bear a child thinks that she has the freedom to terminate the life that God has put inside her. That's a serious, serious 
breach of authority. I love this story. I want to share this, but I, I still have a point out to this. You've heard the story probably if you've been here for any length of time of Francis Green. So indulge me if you've heard it already. You say, who's Francis Green? It's a Ronald Reagan story. You ready? Okay. You remember Ronald Reagan was the president of the United States. He's one of my favorite. Ronald Reagan was not perfect. And by the way, if he was a pastor, I probably couldn't have him as my pastor. Uh, different qualifications for a president. But uh, in, in the book, When Character Was King by Peggy Noonan, she relates this story, and I love this story. I want to read it to you because it talks about two people. One, a man that was an authority. Another, a woman who was an older lady. She says this, Frances Green was an 83-year-old woman. She lived in a rough neighborhood in Daly City, California. Supported by Social Security, for eight years had been sending either a dollar a year or a dollar a month to the Republican National Committee. She loved Ronald Reagan. One day, Frances Green received in the mail a letter from the Republican National Committee. It was nice, thick, cream-colored stationery, black script. It thanked her for her regular contributions. It invited her to the White House to meet President Ronald Reagan. She didn't notice the RSVP notation. She was thrilled. She took every cent she had and took a four-day train trip across America. She couldn't afford a sleeper, so she slept sitting up in a couch. She got to Washington and got a small room in a bad hotel. She showed up at the White House gate. A little old lady with white hair, white powder all over her face, an old white suit that was not yet yellow with age, white shoes, white stockings, and an old hat with netting. Behind her in line was a Ford Motor Company executive. The Marine guard at the gate says brusquely, Your name isn't here. You're not cleared to go in. She said, Oh, but I was invited. He wouldn't let her in. She was heartbroken. The Ford executive told her to stay there. He was cleared to enter. He found Ann Higgins, who went to President Reagan's secretary, Kathy Osborne, who went to the president. He said, please bring her in when she comes back tomorrow. Tuesday arrived, but the day had bad news. Ed Meese had just resigned. There was military action going on overseas. The Ford executive knew President Reagan would not be able to see her. So he gave her a guided tour of the White House to make it special for her. President Reagan was a man of great responsibility, and all kinds of stuff was going on that needed his attention. Did he think he was more superior than Francis Green? Now, some people would think, yeah. So this Ford executive gives her a tour. They're standing outside the Oval Office. The National Security Council comes out. Generals come out. This is, these are people with authority. The Ford executive peered in. Reagan gestured to him. Francis Green walked, out, walked into the Oval Office. He knows Mrs. Green is a little old lady all by herself in the world. She's no one with nothing to give him. And Reagan is behind his desk. And he rises out and says, What is she doing? No, he doesn't say that. He says, Francis! 
Those darn computers, they fouled up again. If I had known you were coming, I would have come out here to get you myself. He asked her to sit down, and they talked about California, and he gave her a lot of his time. Here's a man in authority who's got a lot of things and a lot of responsibilities, but like that centurion, he didn't think too highly of himself. He wasn't on a power trip. Because to him, it was not about authority. He made this lady feel as special as she was. I love that story. Because people in authority who understand the purpose of authority, that's going to be my next point. I'm going to take a few more minutes. They care for those under them and realize that that's the only reason they may have power over them. Remember the centurion? I say to this one, go, and he goes, and I say to this one, come. It's not a power trip. It's understanding the necessity that some people have to be in charge of others in certain areas. And by the way, real quickly, 1 Timothy 5, or no, not 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy 2. Paul says this in verse 12, going back to that basic created order. And folks, This is why he says, I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. Again, if you don't believe the Bible, you think it's just filled with fairy tales, you're going to reject this. But I submit to you that sound exegesis teaches that there is authority in the home. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression Basically, it's this, folks. Women are not supposed to be pastors. It's not because they're less important or they're not worthy. It's just that God has created this order. And when you see a woman that is a pastor, they have not become that because the Scriptures have been exegeted. By the way, there's so much pressure now to reject this teaching on the Bible um, that even the Southern Baptist Convention... Uh, they have, in fact, they have a, a rule that says females cannot be pastors. So now a lot of Southern Baptist churches, they call their, their male ministers pastors and they call their female ministers ministers. And this will be, this year will be the first time at the Southern Baptist Convention where a woman minister is going to be leading the worship. And, and doing exactly what the Bible teaches not to. Because th- that's the day that we live. I close with this. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 32. That's the text that says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. A husband is the head of the wife. But I submit to you folks, the, the gist, you read that text, and it is a, a challenge to husbands square in the eye, you better take care of your wife. You better love her and minister to her needs and protect her. And it uses it claiming that the husband and wife relationship is to be a picture of the church, we are the bride of Christ, to our groom, Jesus Christ. It's it's the picture. And yet there is a great pressure today to reject, not just authority, but 
family as God has ordained it. It is so sad. Some of you know, I like, I like Ray Comfort, and especially his evangelism tactics. Uh, I'm convinced he understands the proper place of the law. It's to be used as an evangelistic tool. The law doesn't save anyone. It just condemns us. It is a schoolmaster to bring us to faith. And uh, he shared on, um, he had a, a YouTube thing years ago called The Comfort Zone. And he shared something that I could so relate to. He, he's an itinerant evangelist. And as he started becoming an evangelist and people wanted to have him, they'd call him up to try to get him to come and preach at their church. And, uh, and he would say things like, oh, I can't do that time. I've got to spend time with my family that time. And it seemed like no matter who he talked to, if he said, oh, no, I'm, I've gotten a speaking engagement then, it was accepted. Oh, okay, then well, let's shift the dates. Or, oh, no, I can't. I've got, you know, got something business with the ministry to do there. Okay, let's change the dates. But whenever he said, no, I've scheduled to spend time with my family, it was like people, oh, okay, then, then you're available. And I've had that too. So eventually he just had to say, oh, you know what? I'm not available. That's what he said. And I appreciate that. It's amazing how family is negated today. Um, Some of you know, I have Friday as my family day. And there have been people over the years that have looked at that like, well, I'm going to call pastor on Friday because I know this is his day off. He's busy Monday, Tuesday. You know, he's ministering to church people. Friday, family day. Oh, he's available. No. It, it, and, and I know, I understand if, you're not, if you've not been in ministry, you're not going to understand the demands upon a minister for family. That's why there's a, a real well-known preacher who's very up in age. He's had a very successful TV ministry. And I love the guy's preaching. He was a part of a, a very large Baptist church in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, his, church denomin- his church doctrinal statement had what many of ours do, that if, if the pastor is ever divorced, he has to step down from the ministry. See, there's certain responsibilities with authority. And I, I will tell you now, I think our Constitution says something like that. But if my wife ever leaves me, and here's what happened. His wife left him. They were going to file for divorce. And they loved this pastor so much they didn't want him to step down. And so they had a business meeting and they voted, forget the Constitution, we want you to stay. And it's very sad. Someone in a position of authority has greater responsibility. And, it, and finally, it took this thing dragged on for a long time. And uh, finally, in the divorce, when they finally finalized it, his wife said this about her husband. And if I mention his name, some of you might be shocked because he's a very beloved Baptist pastor who's in touch. <laughs> and his wife said this, he had his priorities and I was not one of them. And you know what, to me, that is one of the most reproachful Shame on him. But you know what? I understand that. There's a lot of pastors whose wives leave them, and because they have the pulpit, they have the public's ear, whether it's a radio program or now online or preachers, (coughs) they're able to paint the picture however they want. 
And so many of these times, these wives end up looking like, oh man, she had mental problems. You know what? The greater responsibility is on the husband. I'm convinced of it. Men, we have to invest ourselves. Authority is not, you know, and if, if, by the way, if you're a husband and you're looking, or you're a young man getting ready to get married and you're like, I can't wait to have a woman where I can say go and she goes and come and she goes. You don't understand authority. That is not what authority is for. It is so that you and I can care for and protect and minister and someday answer because the buck stops here. You understand that? Again, I know this message probably going to be one of the least popular messages. Instead of uh, two YouTube views, we're going to have zero YouTube views, you know. Um, but here's the point. The Bible has spoken. And yes, there is a difference in function and duties. But no, folks, male, female, equal. And both for the other's benefit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, help us. I'm so grateful for uh, Jane bringing out that point, Father, on Wednesday a week ago. And um, I just pray, Father, that you'd help. I know that many, many do not understand authority. Uh, Many people are buying into the feminism and the rhetoric and the narrative of the day. and, And it just seems so offensive to them because they do not understand authority and the purpose of it. And I pray, Father, that you'd help them to understand. I pray you'd help men to step up to the plate and be the spiritual leaders, understand that they do bear greater responsibility, uh, not for the purpose of power or self, you know, all about self, Father, but that we are servants and that you will someday require great things of us. Lord, help us. Help us in the church to understand that all the men and all the women in our church are absolutely equal but that we have different duties. And that is not a slam on anyone. Lord, help us to think biblically. And we'll thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's all...